0: We've been working through a sermon series on the book of Genesis, the second half of the book of Genesis, the part of Genesis we refer to as the patriarchs, not the part about um, you know, the creation of the world and Noah and the flood, but the part that comes after that, starting with Abraham and then his son Isaac and then Isaac's son Jacob and then Jacob's sons, including Joseph. So today we are at the point of the story where we go uh, from Isaac to Jacob so we will listen now to God's Word to us this morning. And the verses just preceding the ones I'm going to read, Abraham has died, and we are on to the next generation. So Genesis chapter 25, verses 21 through 34, let's listen to God's Word to us this morning. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife, Rebekah, because she was childless. And the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies... Jostled with each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire to the Lord, and the Lord said to her, There are two nations in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, and so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping at Esau's heel, and so they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, And Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebekah, she loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, and he was famished, and he said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. This is why sometimes Esau is also called Edom. Jacob replied, Well, first, sell me your birthright. (laughs) Look, I'm about to starve. I'm about to die, Esau said. What what good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, and he ate and he drank, and then he got up and he left. So Esau despised his birthright. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, Will you pray for the one who preaches for his sins are many. Let's pray. Holy and merciful God, come among us this morning. May something of what I say and do from this pulpit or at least something of what is seen and heard of me. May it not be of me. May it not be of us. May it be of you. May it be of you and your work. May it be of you and your promises to us, the things that you would have us do for you and the things that you have done for us in our lives and in this, your world. In your holy name we ask this. Amen. On your mark, get set, go. Do you remember the story of the tortoise and the hare? Y'all surely know the story from when you were a kid, right? Once upon a time there was a hare, that's a rabbit, you know? Some kids don't know that a hare is a rabbit. There's this rabbit who liked to poke fun at a tortoise. That's a turtle. You're so slow, the hare, the rabbit used to say to the tortoise. How do you ever get anywhere? Well, yes, I get places, the tortoise says. I'll get there soon enough. Uh, I'll prove it to you. Let's have a race this, the hare would laugh. The hare, right, was the quickest of all the animals in the forest. And the, the turtle, the turtle, the tortoise thought he, he could win a race against the hare? You're on. You're on, the hare said. So the fox, who consented to act as the judge, he, he marked off the distance uh, and started the runners off. He said, "On your mark, get set, go." And the, the hare was, was soon far out of sight, way ahead, uh, to make the tortoise feel really deeply ridiculous. How was it, how slow he was uh, for him to try to win the race? The hare then decided that he was going to just lay down along the course and just take a nap until the tortoise showed up. The tortoise, though, meanwhile, kept going really, really slowly and steadily, and after time, uh, uh, he passed the place where the hare was there asleep, but the hare slept on very, very peacefully, and, and, and when at last he did wake up, the tortoise was near the goal, and the hare now ran his swiftest, but he couldn't overtake the tortoise, and he ran out of time, uh, and the tortoise won the race. And the moral of the story is, the race is not always won, By the swiftest. In the scriptures this morning, we receive a birth announcement. The family of God is having twins. Uh, Just some backstory here. Make sure we're all caught up. The Lord, who is the one true God of all things comes to a man whose name is Abraham, and he told Abraham that he was going to be the father of a great nation and that his descendants are going to bring salvation all to the ends of the world. What great glorious things. Abraham, despite his old age, then has a son, and his son's name is Isaac. Well, in today's story, Abraham has passed away, and now Isaac continues on the family line, which is a continuation of that promise that God made to Abraham. And he and his wife, Rebekah, find out that they're having twins. Now, sometimes this happens when you're carrying twins. The pregnancy is not an easy one. There's complications. And all throughout the second and third trimesters, the babies in her womb are restless. It's almost like they're restless with each other. They're wrestling with each other. They're kicking and they're fighting so much that Rebecca cries out to God and says, what on earth is going on with these children. And the Lord responds with a birth announcement. The birth announcement goes like this. Rebecca, in your womb are two nations and two peoples within you who will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. These twin boys, their names will be Jacob and Esau. And on one level, they've got a lot in common. They're twins. They come from the same womb. They have the same birthday. They share the same blood coursing through their veins. But on another level, they could not be any more different than each other. Jacob looks like his parents. Esau is hairy. And his skin is flush red. Jacob is quiet. And he likes to stay at home. Esau is an outdoorsman. He's an accomplished hunter. Jacob is a mama's boy. Esau develops a really strong bond with his father. And the differences that run deep between these two, they run so deep that contention emerges even before they enter into the world. These two are primed to believe that they are in a race with each other in life. In fact, the scriptures tell us that the moment of their birth, Esau, who is only barely born first, uh, Jacob comes seconds behind and he's holding on to Esau's ankle as they are born. Because Jacob is trying to pull Esau back so that he can get ahead and be the one to emerge into the world first. Now that is a sibling rivalry. And sibling rivalries are nothing new. This isn't even the first case of a sibling rivalry showing up in the Bible. And it won't be the last time that two brothers or two siblings fight with each other. But you gotta understand that in those days, the question of who got to be born first mattered in a way that it doesn't quite matter in today's world. Because as a matter of social custom, the firstborn was granted a level of status right off the bat. Being the firstborn meant that you uh, not only got off the starting block quickly, it also meant you got a real head start. When, a, when your father died, all the land, the cattle, the money, the servants, all that belonged to your father would be divided up amongst the sons, and the firstborn son would get a double portion. That means the firstborn son would get twice as much as all the other siblings. The firstborn would also inherit his father's peerage, his royal title, his lordship. He would become the head of the household. This, uh, by virtue of being the firstborn was your birthright. And so because Esau is the one who was born first, he wins the birthright. But that's just the beginning of the race. Just because you win the birthright, that doesn't mean you get to keep the birthright. It, just because you get a head start doesn't mean you're going to be the first one to cross the finish line. Just because you're the swiftest doesn't mean You're going to win the race. So like the hare racing against the tortoise, Esau doesn't quite appreciate the head start that he has. And one day... After this long day of hunting, he goes and flippantly tells his brother he's going to entrade him his inheritance for a bowl of stew. He does this in part because the birthright here is only part of the story. The truth is, it's not up to Esau to give his birthright away. His father's blessing is the thing that matters. So his father has to sign off on it for it to count. And Esau, being so tight with his dad, could never imagine his dad giving the blessing to a tortoise like Jacob. But as you'll see in the coming weeks, as we dive deeper into the story between these two brothers, Jacob and Esau, uh, Jacob the tortoise ends up being the one who pulls ahead. Jacob will be the one who ends up with the double inheritance. He will be the one that ends up as the head of the household. And it's not because the swift always win the race. Jacob is dishonest. He's cunning. He tricks his father. And the animosity between these two brothers only grows deeper and deeper and deeper. And this is a great shame because this is the family of God that we're talking about. A family defined by a promise of glory. This is how things go when you treat life like a race. On your mark, get set, go. And when I was thinking about this story this past week, I thought about another birth announcement that I once saw. You know, um, people post birth announcements now. Sometimes they send them in the mail. Sometimes they post them on social media. I got this old uh, college friend of mine, and uh, he is and has always been a huge NASCAR fan. He has never missed a race. We used to pick on him about it. Sunday afternoons, he'd be sitting there watching in front of the TV. Uh, A few years ago, this friend of mine became a dad for the first time. And his wife made a post on social media announcing the birth of their newborn son. And, you know, they, they had one of those cute staged pictures where they dressed the infant up, real cute. And they, you know, took a picture, probably spent a lot of money on it. You know what I'm talking about. So in this announcement that he posted, um, this adorable picture of his week old son dressed in a onesie that was made to look like a driver's racing suit. And he had this tiny little cute hat that had a big old number three emblazoned on it, like the great Dale Earnhardt. And uh, the caption of the picture, this was so clever, said, welcome to the human race, son. It's adorable, right? And clever. Welcome to the human race. Uh, you know, the more I've thought about it, I've also think that this caption is incredibly insightful. Welcome to the human race. This caption encapsulates two really basic ways that we go about looking at life, doesn't it? The, the first is that from the moment of, that you are born, you find yourself running a human race. This race cuts two ways, right? The first is it's a race against time. There's this clock that starts ticking. The moment you come into the world and you always hear that ticking clock just going in the back of your head, just faintly going in the back of your head and it's always reminding you that the day is going to come when that buzzer is going to sound and your race is going to be over and so that means that right now you better get going as fast as you possibly can to get as far down the race course as you possibly can. you got to rack up as many points as you possibly can before time runs out. You better hit the ground running. you got to keep pushing. There's no time to lose. But the race is not just against time. It, it's further complicated by the fact that when you look around you find that there's these other people who are also running the race. There are others who are trying to get down the course before their time runs out as well and sometimes these other racers, they start to get ahead of you. And that makes you feel like you gotta push harder to catch up. Sometimes you get ahead of these other racers and then you just can hear their footsteps running behind you, you can feel their breath on the back of your neck. Sometimes other racers just get in your way. You come across these racers that don't even seem like they're trying. But they're standing right in your path. And so that means they're an obstacle to your own success So you just have to run over them. Such is the way it goes with the race of life, the human race. Sometimes another racer thinks that you are in their way and they run you right off the track. Rubbing is racing. Such is the way with the human race. That's one way you can look at things. That's how Jacob and Esau look at things before they even emerge from the womb. The tortoise and the hare. There's another way. The other is that from the moment you are born, you are not in a race, but you are part of a human race. From the very beginning, you are intended to be part of something that is greater than yourself. You are brought into this world as a gift at no fault or initiation of your own, but not on your own, not as an individual, not as a unique singularity that is forced to blaze your way through the wild world, but as, as part of a collective gift. You are one of many who get to share into this world and this life together in laughter and in tears in joy and in sorrow just by virtue of your God-given existence your life has worth to it in that it is part of something unique from all the rest of creation in that you along with every person who has ever been made before you and every person who will come after you all bear the image of God the God that gave us our lives So we ourselves are in this life together as one human race. Welcome to the human race. Are we running a human race or are you part of a human race? That is the question. Those are the two basic ways, I think, that we go about thinking about what it means to to be human. One of these is about belonging. The other is about status. And I suspect that all of us, each of us, in our own ways, in our own rhythms, oscillate back and forth between these two outlooks on life. Nobody has just one. At at one moment, you're consumed by this drive, right, this challenge to to push, to make something of yourself and the time that you have to exist on this planet. And And you start to feel like you can't have any belonging without the status and that the only way to belong is to prove yourself a winner of the human race. But then there are these other moments when completely by surprise, the sense of urgency starts to melt away. You find it when you hold a baby in your arms for the first time. You take an afternoon hike with your family because for once there is nowhere, no appointment that you've got to make find yourself just joyfully humming and singing along to that banger of a song you hold the hand of a friend who is suffering or you come to church And you sit in the pews with other people, some of whom are friends, some of whom are complete strangers, and together at once, everybody in the room bows their heads and they all surrender the burdens that they have been carrying over to the mercy of God. And then you are told that regardless of your status, by the grace of God alone, you already belong. To the human race take notice that that all of those instances i just mentioned none of them none of them can be earned experiencing a moment like this does not require that you reach a certain checkpoint on the course of life it doesn't require that you rack up enough points it doesn't require that you be ahead of anybody got nothing to do with deserving it, with earning it, with winning it. It's always given. A moment when you recognize your belonging. You can only receive it as if it were a gift, like a flicker of a promise of a greater glory that awaits when the buzzer sounds and the race is over. It awaits you, regardless of how well you run it. If that's the case, then here is the good news for you today. By the love of God poured out in Jesus Christ, who has run and won the race for you, this grace has been made your birthright your inheritance. Don't ever take it for granted. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we ask it. Amen.